How many guys enjoyed that Seahawks win on Saturday? How many guys are ready for football season to be over? Anybody? Yeah. All the non-sports fans are like, just end it. Just end it. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm a huge sports fan. I'm really, I, so I'm ready. I'm like, I'm sad that I'm going to have to be productive on Sunday afternoons now. At least I have the excuse of football for right now. Um, how many guys are excited for Christmas? How many guys have started Christmas shopping? How many guys are done with your Christmas shopping? I am. Yes, I am. Yes. I'm like, thank God for Amazon and Prime, right? I ordered stuff. It was there the next day. I even wrapped. I want the records to show that I had my presents wrapped and under the tree before Brittany did, which means I win. I win. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The reason doesn't matter. This is currently a source of contention in our marriage is um, I peak at presents. Like, my dad and my brother and I would go down with, like, really sharp knives and cut the tape and pull the present out and then slide it back into the wrapping and retape it. And so my mom warned Brittany not to put presents under the tree because I would find out. But whatever. That's okay. We're figuring it out. It's cool. I just hacked into our Amazon account, so I know what I got anyways. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. You guys, you got... <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I have brownie points right now. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to talk about this idea of God, our righteousness. All right? If you're taking notes, God, our righteousness. Let's pray. Uh, God, I-, I pray that as we just take a quick look at another aspect, another promise in your character to us, um, I pray that we'd come to really understand the simplicity and the beauty um, of the gospel as we talk about that tonight. We thank you so much for the role that you play in our lives, not just in seeing us get saved, but also seeing us grow and change to be more like you. And, and we are so thankful for that. And we're thankful um, for this Christmas season. Let us not lose sight of the real power of it, um, that you came and you're among us. And we are thankful for that in your name. Amen. Amen. How many of you guys um, have uh, a sibling, like a younger, younger older sibling? I, I remember um, growing up, the, the Bible says that brothers are born for adversity, and, and I definitely proved that with my brother. There was this one time, how many guys remember the first time you got to invite someone over to spend the night? And that was like a big deal. Anybody remember that, right? Your parents finally trusted that you would not burn the house down, and so you could have someone over to spend the night. And I was calling my friend Andrew, and he was going to come spend the night, and I was super stoked when my brother was learning to play the trombone, Right. And I'm on the phone, I'm on the phone with Andrew, and we're like, bro, you're going to come over, we're going to watch Star Wars, we're going to play Legos, and it's going to be awesome, right? We'll build a fort, and we'll protect the downstairs basement from an invasion, like, it's going to be awesome. And uh, my brother, I'm on the phone, my brother walks up with his trombone, puts the bell of the trombone in my ear, and blows it as hard as he can, right? And I pick my brother up. I, I, let me, all right, this was the sequence of events. I put the, hey, Andrew, hold on a sec. He's like, what was that? I was like, hold on a sec. I put the phone down, turn to my brother, trombone still in hand, pick him up, throw him across our kitchen, into our kitchen table, literally, just across the kitchen and the kitchen table, pick the phone back up, yeah, I'll see you soon, hang up. My brother has started crying, which is the universal sign of I'm about to be in trouble, right? So I run over to my brother. You guys ever do this with your sibling? No, you can hit me back, man. Just hit me back. Don't tell mom, but whatever you do, just hit me back, right? 
And, and I'm like, bro, no, you could do it to me. Like, he could pick me up. Like, that was going to be a thing, right? And so I, I'm like, no. And, and, and it's funny even now, like, with Brittany and I, like, I know girls claim that there's no such thing as a brownie point system, but I'm sure that there is, right? Because when, when I do something wrong, like when I miss something in our schedule or I buy the wrong thing because she didn't tell me what she wanted, but then I buy something and apparently that was still the wrong thing. I don't, whatever. But, or, or when I don't ask what's going on enough times, like with sometimes some girls, it's like, you have to ask it 77 times. If it's 76 and you give up, you're in trouble. But you got to get to 77, right? And so she doesn't do any of these things. I'm making all these things up. But I, I get in trouble and I need to do something. And guys are simple, right? It's chocolate and flowers. Those are the two things that if you buy those things, you can be back into good graces, right? And we've bought into this idea that when something, when I do something wrong, I have to pay it back. And a lot of times we take that into our understanding and relationship with God. That there's this kind of cause and effect that I messed up, I sinned, I screwed up, I'm a bad person. And so I need to earn my way back into good graces with God. And I want to tackle this thought of God, our righteousness tonight, and I want to debunk that myth. See, our relationship with God doesn't depend upon our actions. It depends on what God has already done. And so I want to take a quick theological understanding of the gospel just for a couple minutes, and I really think it's going to help us understand some things tonight. We see this God, our righteousness, in Jeremiah 23. And just write that down. You don't need to turn there. Jeremiah 23 and verse 6, it says this. Um, in this day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called, speaking of God, the Lord our righteousness. Jeremiah 23 verse 6. He will be called the Lord our righteousness. And the idea is this, that the Lord our righteousness is this reminder that it's through God that we become right with God. And so the Lord our righteousness, I just want to pull three points out tonight. And the first one is this. If we're going to understand the Lord our righteousness, we have to understand our position. We have to understand our position in relationship to God. And in Romans 3, I had you turn there. We'll start in verse 21. Romans 3 verse 21. And says this, but now apart from the law, the right God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What's it saying? It's saying that even the Old Testament speaks to the fact that Jesus was coming, and it was through Jesus that we would find righteousness. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe there is no distinction. I love this fact that we are reminded that the gospel applies to everybody. See, God dying for you pre-existed before we decided to believe in him, which is hard for some of us to believe. It's hard for us to understand that God being Emmanuel and God being with us and God being Yahweh, all we need, it, there's nothing about God that changed. It was us that needed to change in order to be able to see that and understand it. There is no distinction as far as God is concerned. The gospel truth applies to everybody. And this is why in verse 23, for all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short. All means everybody. I looked it up in the Greek. Literally means everybody. We all have sinned. In essence, I hate to break it to you, you were a little ball of sin when you were born. And we've been on this journey of understanding why we do what we do and fighting against our nature, our tendency. We've been we are, a lot of us, well aware of the fact that we have sinned and fallen short. 
right? And that word sin is simply to know good and choose not to do it. That's what James says in the book of James in the New Testament. Sin is to know good and choose not to do it. And you think about that type of definition, we definitely all sinned. Verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus. Being justified, being made right with God, which is a gift. We have to remember that our salvation is something that is free. Ephesians 2 says it's not of work, so we can't boast in it. Our role in God saving us was to simply accept it. Which is interesting. There's not something we pay. There's not a debt that we pay. And we're going to see in a second, it's a debt that Jesus paid that makes us right with him. And justified is our state before God. In essence, we always have the right to grow in relationship with God because we are justified with him and we're redeemed. We are set free from the bondage of sin and slavery and addiction and struggle and poor decisions. We are set free from that because Jesus redeemed it. Verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a payment, propitiation, in his blood through faith. Jesus publicly dies on the cross as a reminder that he has paid the debt for your and I's sin. Not just the sin that we committed before we knew him, but the sin we commit now even though we know him. It's all been paid for. Verse 26, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, God is the only one who had the right to declare a sentence on our case, right? Our issue was sin, the just. And the just thing to do if you were God would be to send us all to hell. And yet he's also the justifier. He's the one who pardons our sin. And only God can do both. And we see that perfectly demonstrated through what Jesus did on the cross. Verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Paul is saying this, why do we claim that it's us who has made us right with God? You ever met a Christian who wants to tell you all the good they're doing? And it's almost like when you ask the question, well, why do you feel so obligated to constantly be reminding yourself of all the good you're doing? And I'm not saying doing good is bad. I'm not saying telling people about it is bad. But what is interesting to me is this is that we try to remind ourselves, and even through our self-talk, no, I'm okay with God because I'm doing good. And yet that, we miss it. In Galatians, it says this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness, if, if being right before God came through good behavior, then Christ died needlessly. See, we needed Jesus to go to the cross not just to save us, because a lot of us will say, okay, yeah, I understand, I'm a bad person. I didn't help Grandma across the street that one time. And I know I was supposed to. I'm a bad person. A lot of will say, yeah, I get that I was a bad person. I lied. I get that I'm a bad person. But once we get to the understanding that Jesus saved us, understanding that Jesus' grace is what sustains us is hard for us to get. It's not just that Jesus saved us. It's that he needs to constantly be working in us and through us. That is called sanctification. That's the process of becoming more like God. We have to understand our position. In essence, we are forgiven and yet we still need Jesus. That is our position. Number two is this. Hold on one sec. My bad time out. We need to consider ourselves dead to sin. Number one, we need to understand our position. Number two, we need to consider ourselves dead to sin. Second Corinthians 5 says this. In verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. 
in, in essence, we see this in baptism, right? When someone gets baptized, it's symbolic of the fact that their old man, their old way of thinking, their old perspective, their old way of doing life is going down and being buried, and they're coming up a new person. And isn't it incredible that when we decide, hey, I'm starting over, I'm doing new, I'm going to get in this relationship with Jesus, I'm going to give it a go. When we decide to do that, we are, also, we are constantly, at least in my life, I find myself being drawn back to the way I used to behave and the things I used to do. It never fails that I make this declaration, this is it, I'm buying it, I'm going for it, and then all of a sudden this old habit tries to rear its ugly head. And we have to remember that because of our position now in relationship with God, and God can work in us and work through us, we have a different tool than we had before. We have God's grace. So we have to remember not only my position, but I am no longer slave to sin. I now have the freedom to do what I should. Before we encountered God's grace, we were stuck in the cycle of knowing good but choosing not to do it. And now, because I'm dead to sin, I have every right to say, no, I'm going to head off in the right direction. The tool is different. When we're attempting, see, this is, this is the understanding we need to come to. Outside of using God's grace, we are simply modifying our behavior. And most of our generation spends a lot of time trying to just modify behavior. We try to do good, and that's why most of us, if we're being honest, will set out to do good, and we'll do good for like two weeks, right? I'm not going to swear. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to struggle with that addiction anymore. I'm going to move past this, and we do really good for two weeks. And then all of a sudden, the old way starts to rear its ugly head again, and we want to give in, and we do. And I would ask the question, is it because we haven't truly come to understand our position, which is now free to do as I should, not as I want? And we can remind ourselves, and this is a good exercise to get into, hey, I don't do that anymore because I am a different person in Christ. The old has gone and the new has come. The third part to remember is this. We must use our freedom. Galatians 5 verse 1, it says this, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, which is redundant. Sure, great. We have to understand what that word freedom means. That word freedom literally translates to the ability to do as you should no longer as you want. So not only do we have this position of freedom, not only do we have the right to say that I'm no longer the same person, but now we have freedom to say I'm going to chase after what God has done and has for me. We have the freedom to begin to decide I'm going to do the good thing instead of the bad thing. We have the freedom to decide that and then to make it stick because God's grace is working in us and it's working through us. This is a different way of thinking. It's no longer God just saved me, but he's still angry at me. It's no longer God saved me, and now I'm on my own. It's not only has God saved me, but he is intimately connected in me beginning to work out life the way it's supposed to. He's not only our savior, he's our sustainer. It's something that's important to understand. I want to end with, with this thought. Uh, this story, actually. In 14th century, um, in what would be modern-day Belgium, there's these two brothers, this guy named Edward and this guy named Raymond. I'm not connected to the one named Edward, I promise. But Edward and Raymond, they were dukes. They both had land. They both ruled, had a castle, bossed some people around, probably some goats, stuff like that. Raymond's nickname in Latin, his nickname was Cassus, and, and that means severely obese in Latin. See, Raymond was huge, and they gave that to him as a nickname, okay? 
Well, Edward decides that he wants Raymond's land one day, and he goes out to battle, and he actually defeats Raymond's army. And he takes Raymond's land, and he marches into Raymond's castle, and instead of killing his brother, which would have been customary at that time, he does something different. He has a room built around his brother. And the deal was this. Raymond, when you can walk out of the door of this room, then you can have back everything I just took from you. But there was no door, there was no door on the exit, and there were no bars on the windows. See, Raymond was so big, he literally couldn't walk out the exit. And it's interesting, though, if there's no door on the exit, then the only thing holding Raymond in there was Raymond. And Ed, Edward would send in food to Raymond. And the story goes that Raymond stayed in that room for 10 years. He lacked the ability to do as he should, not as he wanted. But he had every right to walk out of that room. And someone asked Edward one time, you're such a jerk to your brother. And he said, I'm not a jerk. My brother is not a prisoner. He can leave when he decides to. What a challenging thought to us as Christians. What is the thing that we're still stuck in because we haven't decided to leave it yet? If we really believe that God is our righteousness, if we really believe that God has set us free, what is the thing that we're still ensnared in because we've just decided to stay there? Now, please understand, I'm not speaking to perfection. And I'm not saying as soon as you come to know Jesus, then all your old desires go away. What I am saying is we now have the tools to fight it and choose the right way to go. I'm not saying this all puppies and unicorns. I'm not saying that you become perfect. But what we can do is see dominant areas of sin in our lives begin to become something that we don't dominantly struggle with. They can become things that we move past and we look back on and say, my life is trending in the right direction. I'm no longer a slave to this thing but I am now its master. And it's not because we will ourselves to change our behavior. It's because we come to understand the fact that we are right before God. And because we're right before God, now we can ask him to work in us and work through us and transform our character and our behavior and not just our actions. When we come to understand that God is our righteousness, the promise is this. You can always have relationship with God. Always. Regardless of how far or how close we feel, the relationship is always there. Not only can we have relationship, but we can also begin to change the way we live. And it all comes from the understanding that God is our righteousness. Let me pray for us. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes real quick? I want to ask the question tonight, and, and I want to just give you a second to think about it. Is there an area in our lives that we find ourselves enslaved even though we have every right to walk away? Is there an area right now where I'm just saying, well, that's just who it is, or that's just who I am? Instead of really understanding that God is our righteousness and he's giving us the capacity to walk away from these things. If there's something popping up in your head tonight, I'm not going to ask you to stand or raise your hand or anything. Could you just put your hand on your heart? I just want to pray for you tonight. If you find yourself in that, cool. Cool. God, I, I thank you so much that 
you give us the capacity to do as we should, not as we want. God, that you are in the business of, of not only allowing us to be in relationship with you, but working in us so you can begin to work through us and begin to change our character and our attitude and our perspective and the way we do life, that we don't have to go through life just trying to modify our behavior, but we can go through life having a relationship with you and really thriving in freedom so we can do what you're calling us to do. And I pray that as we run into things where we find ourselves wanting to go back to our old way of life, that we, we, we would remind ourselves that we are set free. We don't have to go back, that we're a new person and a new creation. We thank you for how good you are, and we thank you that you give us this gift. In your name, amen.